oldest and most universal religious practice. People all over the world pray in in what the Apostle Paul calls the rich variety of God's wisdom. And then our passage says, every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by God. Do you know the Bible kind of assumes that we understand what prayer is? It doesn't exactly explain it. And that kind of makes sense because the Bible was written for a community uh, to be read together. You know, we've talked about this before, but the scrolls were such and printing technology was such that, that people gathered and they gathered in the synagogue and in the church and they read and they prayed together. So, you know, the Bible goes 20 chapters before the word appears and yet it's it's assumed it's in the story in the Garden of Eden God comes walking by in the cool of the day and Cain and Abel and Noah they all make sacrifices and offerings without any explanation of, of what those things are and and then when you get in that more historical portion with Abraham and Sarah begins with this word from God. <laughs> Leave this land and go to a place I will show you. And, and there's no real explanation of that. There's no burning bush. There's no, there's no angel. And there's no explanation of what does it mean that God told me to leave this place and go somewhere else. There are so many ways to pray, really. We can pray, you know, the Lecto Divina, slowly listening to a scripture repeated. We can listen to a neighbor with attentive compassion. We can, we can meditate. We, we can be mindful. We can memorize scripture. We can pray through liturgies. We can pray books of prayer, the Psalms, devotional guide, rosaries. We can practice silence. We can prayerfully walk or hike or, or even picnic beside some river in Tennessee. We can pray through a meal and, and try to be mindful of, of all of the flavors and taste and then everybody who had a hand in bringing it to us and of all the, the miracles of creation behind that. We can listen to inspiring music we can dance, we can chant, we can sing, we can write new songs, or as Paul encourages, we can make melodies in our hearts before God. We can pause at the end of the day thinking about our doing in light of Christ's forgiveness and mercy and call. And you know, almost any moment can be a moment of prayer. We don't need to ascend a mountaintop or compose a careful liturgy. We can, like my mother, just say, thank you, Jesus, when we look out and see the cardinals eating the seed that we've laid out. Or if some powder blue Subaru happens to be going a little too fast, hits a patch of ice on 21st and almost collides with you, you can say, Lord, in your mercy, help that person slow down. Or... 
If you're more honest, later that night when you're recounting the story, you might say, Lord, give me a more generous heart towards my neighbor. Help me be more fully rooted in your love. I've been thinking about how Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And if Jesus is right about that, then maybe any time that we have a pure heart, a clean heart, an open heart, then we're praying. Then we're praying. If my heart is open, clear, and loving, I think I'm praying. Most mornings before I swim, I read the upcoming sermons um, scripture. So that for 40 minutes as I go up and down and up and down and up and down, black line, black line, black line, cross, that's swimming. Black line, black line, black line, cross, that's that's swimming. Anybody's done it, no? I can think about the sermon, but I got to tell you that my prayers are more like daydreaming than they are orderly reflections. My mind goes all over the place, sometimes to completely different places, but I think that's okay. In fact, I think it might be a part of prayer that we don't think about. My understanding of prayer shifted dramatically in college when I picked up a little book, Everything Begins with Prayer by Mother Teresa, a collection of her sayings. And Teresa writes, without silence, without silence, it's impossible to hear from God because not even God can fill what is already full. The psalmist declares, that is enough. That's one translation. (laughs) That is enough. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You know, I had grown up thinking about my prayer as mostly asking. A lot of words. But Mother Teresa told me that I could bring my empty-headedness, my right-brainness to God giving the spirit room to fill my thoughts. And so when I swim or I walk or I hike in silence, I'm I'm hoping to get my heart a little purer. I'm hoping to see Christ a little clearer. And I'm hoping I can lose my distractions and cast off some of that inner busyness that often haunts us. In fact, prayer might be less work and more Sabbath. And you know, Sabbath liberates us from the demand for consumption and productivity. It whispers this mantra that we don't repeat very often from Exodus 20, don't do any work. (laughs) Don't do any work. And Jesus tells us not to worry too much about our words when we're praying. He says, don't pour out a flood of empty words. God knows what you need even before you ask. God knows. God knows. So just dwell. Just abide. Just feel your belovedness. Let the sky crack open and hear God say, you are my beloved. You are my child. Jesus beckons us to abide in prayer. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden with big loads of concern, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light abide take it easy be still stop 
Sabbath. In Philippians 3, Paul invites us, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all your requests to God and give thanks. And siblings, if there's anything that is excellent, if there's anything that's admirable, focus your thoughts on these things and all that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Think about these things. God invites us to bring all our anxiousness to God. All our overwhelmingness, all our sense of rejection and exclusion of being judged or feeling judgy. God invites us to bring all of that to God. And who is this God invites us? It's the one who loves us and forgives us 70 to the 77th power. Hear the word from our scripture this morning, that prayer of Paul embedded in the letter. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You are beloved. So shake off those images of an angry God who who maybe you've been told can't tolerate your sin. Well, that's not right. God came and lived amongst us. Christ our Lord hung out with sinful folk. That's the whole of the incarnation, isn't it? Come and dwell in that perfect love of God, as 1 John calls it. Cast out the perfect love of God. Cast out all fear. Cast out all fear. Because fear has to do punishment. But in the beginning of that, that invitation, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God and give thanks. Siblings, if there's anything excellent, admirable, true, just, pure, lovely, worthy of praise, focus your thoughts on these and the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will guard your hearts and minds and keep us safe in Jesus Christ. I've been wondering that uh, if we are praying, if we are praying every time we focus on things that are excellent, admirable, true, holy, just, pure, lovely, and worthy of praise. So you might be gazing through a microscope or you might be listening through a stethoscope or you might be herding a flock of goats. I mean, a herd of goats. Yeah, I was trying to get the rhyme, sorry. All those things can be prayer. All those things can be prayer. Your work can be prayer. I mean, I mean, Paul says in the Thessalonians, I can't even say that, Thessalonians, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So maybe if our minds are focused and our hearts are focused on what is excellent, admirable, true, just, holy, pure, lovely and worthy of praise. We are praying. We are praying. Now, I grew up in a tradition very different from Belmont in some ways. <laughs> and maybe one of the biggest ways is that we elevated extemporaneous prayer or praying at the drop of a hat uh, to the highest spiritual plane. That was, that, was, that was the highest thing. We looked down at prayers that were written in advance uh, by others as, you know, a little less spiritual and not quite from the heart. 
And that's a strange thing in a denomination that told you to pay very careful attention to what the preacher was saying, right? Or that you should memorize scripture. But I've come to understand that we may learn to pray best by praying the prayers of others, actually. This is what Jesus does on the cross. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? I read all of Psalm 31 um, this week and almost had about an extra three paragraphs just about what was going on with that. But it's so rich. And I wonder if Jesus, as Jesus experienced the worst moments of his life and the worst of human evil, oppression, injustice, if, if Jesus retreated into that psalm and felt the comfort of God. I have found that, uh, that I've, had, I've had two times in my life that I would call, you know, longer nights of the soul. One was when I was leaving my, my childhood theology behind, and the other was when we were struggling with some health issues. And I found in those times that the prayers of others, that Holy Communion, that the daily office, that the Lord's Prayer and the Scriptures were the only real ways I could pray during those times. It was a dry spiritual season. But friends, you know, lament. Lament is as much prayer as is thanksgiving. And deep listening. Listening with compassion is a kind of prayer. And so when my covenant group bore my tears, I want to suggest to you that their care for me was as holy as any prayer or offering they might make. After all, Jesus tells us when two or three of us gather together in Jesus' name, Jesus will be with us. Presence with God, presence with ourselves, presence with others. It may be the very heart of what prayer is. And you know, our doing can be prayer as well, too. Our doing can be as much prayer as the most liturgically correct day at the holiest monastery with the most sanctified celebrant. How else could we live into Paul's command, pray without ceasing? If prayer always called us away from work and play. I want to suggest that anytime we do the things that Jesus did, we're praying. We're praying. Our Lord's Prayer reminds us that forgiving is a pathway of grace, doesn't it? Forgive and you will be forgiven. <laughs> You'll embody deep forgiveness. And Jesus, a little later in that sermon, reminds us that when we stop judging, God will break the stranglehold of judgment inside of us. And when we make peace, we are living as the children of God. All of those actions and attitudes are a kind of prayer. Jesus promises to be with us when we welcome the stranger, feed the hungry, visit the sick, liberate the prisoner, stand up for justice, and offer compassion to the hurting. Indeed, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us, even if we're unaware that we're serving Jesus, we are. Every time you took care of those cast to the side, you cared for me, Jesus said. If prayer is being present with God, then serving may be one of the most beautiful ways to pray. 
And I also want to say today that art can be a kind of prayer. You know, the book of Exodus tells this powerful story of liberation, right? Powerful story of justice and liberation and God raising up leaders. But it closes with five chapters about arts and crafts. All of you who are skilled in crafts should come forward and make everything that the Lord has commanded. The dwelling, the class, the boards, the bars, the posts, the bases, the bread, the lampstands, the oil, the incense, the altar, the drapes, the screen, the gates, the curtains, the vestments. It just goes on and on. And everyone was excited and eager to participate and brought their gift offerings. And the Lord set apart Bielza to be the chief architect and noted the Lord has filled them with the divine spirit with skill and ability and knowledge for every kind of work. And then there's five chapters about how they built all this stuff. And at the very end of the book of Exodus, it says that the presence of God in the cloud covered the tabernacle and the Lord's glorious presence filled the dwelling. And now the presence of God was so thick that Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle for days because the cloud had settled on it. And the Lord's glorious presence filled the dwelling. So all that art, all that handiwork, all that singing and music, it was an all an offering to God. And you know, sometimes when I'm at my workbench and I'm repairing some broken piece of furniture or I'm just on some craft project and I choose to remove the distractions, that's important, leave my phone in the kitchen then my work can become prayer and my mistakes can become part of what God and I are doing together. Indeed, releasing ourselves from results may be a key to prayer. We stop asking or striving to get it exactly right and simply abide with God and with ourselves. Jesus says in Luke 6 to give and to serve and to forgive without expectation of reward. That, that's hard. But I think when we learn to do that, we experience a deep release. When I can give myself to some project, whether it's on a workbench or it's on my laptop, and I can silence that inner critic, And I can stop worrying too much about how it turns out. I come away from my activity renewed and rested and well Sabbathed. And generally, whatever I'm working on comes out a little better. <laughs> you might find this prayerful release in knitting or cooking or gardening or journaling or playing. It's taken me time to learn how to do this, to let go and just try to become aware of God's deep love for me and to just abide. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I learned it from some good friends like Thomas Merton and Mother Teresa and just good lay folks and preachers I've served with. There's so much more I could say about prayer. In fact, on Friday, this, this sermon was uh, 10 pages long. Um, yeah, so I cut out seven. Wednesday Heather's going to be talking about prayer 
and leading us some, some practices as we talk about a habitat of grace. Friends, learning how to pray is an essential part of living uh, a spiritual life and thriving. So may God's grace, may God's grace woo us into a life of deeper prayer so that we might become deeper people. Abiding in grace and love and justice and excellence and all of those good things. Amen.